Hey, Valley fans, you're listening to the March to the Arch podcast. Is your team going to win? Make some noise! This is the March to the Arch podcast, your place for Missouri Valley Conference news, talk, and takes. All right, welcome to episode six of the March Arch podcast in this 2020-2021 Missouri Valley Conference season. On today's episode, we're back to two-a-days, Baker. We've got Missouri State and the Southern Illinois Salukis to break down today. For the Missouri State Bears, we're excited to have Wyatt Wheeler from the Springfield News Leader joining us. But before we jump into those previews, how are we doing today, Baker? Doing great. Doing great, Vance. Uh, it's a day after the election, so I, I obviously we got to start with that. I want to know about your day uh, working the polls. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I, I, this is something that we haven't really talked about because I want to wait till we're here. But So talk about the day, going in, working the polls. Uh, uh, talk about getting there early, uh, the setup. Uh, just kind of get into it. Yeah, it's a long day. We're 100% not getting into any election coverage here on the Martial Arts Podcast, but I am happy to talk about the civic duty that I um, I experienced yesterday. So yeah, um, thanks for asking, Baker. Uh, it was a long day. Uh, um, story summed up nicely. Um, got to the polls um, at 5 a.m. and I got home around 8.30 p.m. Um, it, it was honestly a great day. Um, it's cool to, to experience that. Um, you know, a presidential election happens every four years and just understanding in this um, election was just different. Like mail-in ballots were a thing. Like that's a significant part of our job. We spent a lot of our day tracking down mail-in ballots, uh, canceling mail-in ballots if voters asked us to. Um, so it was honestly, you got to see the um, democracy in action, which is, you know, as an American uh, citizen, a great thing to experience. Um, you know, I, I highly recommend it. And, you know, everyone asked uh, the first question I got today, uh, whether it be for my wife or coworkers was, would you do it again? And my, my answer is yes. Um, honestly, it felt pretty good. Um, there was not a lot of downtime at my polling place. Um, I, I brought a book to read and I really only got 60, 70 pages in because we only really had, you know, an hour and a half tops of downtime. I'd say we didn't have people there, um, but definitely appreciated the process. Um, the process is not perfect. I can promise you that. But, you know, it is the process that we have as American citizens. And, you know, there just really is an appreciation for what goes in behind the scenes when it comes to electing um, everything from a um, county commissioner all the way to the president of the United States. It's really cool to see the process, Baker. So one thing I want to ask you about, and I'm, I'm sure if anybody else cares about this, is the mail-in part of it. With your, uh, with do, do they bring them in in like those mail baskets, or do they bring them in in like some kind of case? How does that work? Yeah, so I was actually at a polling place, so we were actually only doing in-person balloting. Uh, but that doesn't mean uh, we didn't run into that scenario. So a lot of people requested mail-in ballots but never submitted them, and so um, that that's one thing we had to handle at our polling place. And so a lot of people did that for many reasons, whether it be they didn't know what COVID would be like, you know, leading up to the election day. And so basically, if you requested a mail-in ballot and you had not submitted it, um, and actually I can talk through if you submitted it. So most of the time it was people who did not submit it came in. 
um, you know, they would sign in um, uh, with myself or another one of the election judges and it would pop up on the screen. Hey, um, you know, um, John Doe has requested a mail-in ballot. And so we know that. And so basically we had to send a message to what we call like central headquarters and say, John Doe is, would like to vote in person. They already requested a mail-in ballot. So basically what they would do is cancel their mail-in ballot. So if they were to submit one after the fact, um, then it would not be counted. And so then it would basically open up them to vote in person. And so, you know, felt really good about the process because that's something that was, you know, concerns, definitely not the right word, but I was interested on how that would work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I, hey, I wanted a mail-in ballot, but I never submitted it and it's election day, I want to go vote. You know, there's definitely um, um, processes in place to ensure that everyone gets to vote, which is pretty cool to see in an election that mail-in or in-person balloting is much different than any other election we've seen here in the United States. Okay, so overall, you said you'd do it again. Um, what, like, was there a lot of, like, downtime? Did you, like, and, and I know you kind of talked about that, but, like, do you feel like, like, was it so super steady this time? Because I know you've done it before, but, like, was this year, did it feel just, like, constant, constant people coming in? Not really. The only time that I would say we were slammed was at the very beginning. So pretty much from 6 a.m. till 8.30 um, constant flow of people. Um, you know, we had to hold people outside just for social distancing, distancing measures. Um, and there was a line essentially, but really, um, from downtime perspective, uh, like I mentioned, I brought a book to read and I got through 60 or 70 pages and that was over the course of maybe an hour and a half of downtime, um, which was during the normal workday, if I had to guess, um, you know, me and some of the election judges were talking about that. And we just said, we think just with so many people working from home, it's not the normal before work, at lunch, and after work, like where it like ebbs and flows and that peaks at those three times. Just because people are working from home, you know, if they've got a 30 minute break in the middle of the day or an hour long break in the middle of the day, they're just gonna, you know, run and vote real quick and go back home because they're working from home anyway. It's not like they have to leave the office, go to their polling place. You know, polling places are within proximity of their households. And so, you know, it's closer. Um, but we didn't know how it would go either because we figured there'd be a, a significant amount of mail-in voting as well, well or um, early voting. So there was a ton of, I mean, it was, from what I understand, the polling place I was at, it was a record turnout uh, for that polling place um, this election. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, it's, it's funny you talk about that because like, so I, when I went and voted, it was about like 7.30 in the morning after I dropped my kids off daycare and it was... I was expecting like, oh my God, this is gonna be a long line. I have a meeting at 8.30 and I'm like, okay, am I gonna have time? And I was literally in and out in 10 minutes. So I was like, okay, this is awesome. Um, last question for you about this because I do, I'm curious about this. Um, did you guys do the Scantrons or did you guys actually have the touch screens? Cause like we, the one I went to, we had the Scantrons. I've never gotten to have the touch screens. I was just like, I always get stuck with the Scantron ones. So what, what, what did you guys have? Yeah, I think that's because we're probably in the same geographic location. We have the same um, election commission. We were Scantrons mainly. There was an option to do the uh, touch screen, but, you know, I, I, for lack of a better term, it's honestly more efficient for us to do the mm -hmm. Scantrons where you go in and fill in your ballots. Did you have um, someone at the stand, though, that was like, so like they bring up the Scantrons and they shove it in the machine and count it that way? Uh, so the Scantron, after you filled it, filled in the bubbles, yes, you know, we just, okay. 
we, we had to have someone there or we don't have to have someone there because uh, you're supposed to put your own ballot into that machine. Um, but yeah, it just if you haven't, if you need help or, um, you know, want instructions on how to ensure it's tabulated correctly, there, there should be someone at that, that position. Well, cool. Well, hey, this is, uh, I think we'll finish on, on our uh, election talk here just so we don't, uh, we don't want to go any further, but hopefully everybody voted and, um, yeah. you know, it's, uh, now it's time to take our mind off everything else and let's talk about some Valley hoops. Yeah. Hey, before we get into Valley hoops, Hey, the one person on this podcast got to see some, uh, Valley football. Oh, that's right. Uh, let's go. Let's talk about it. That was awesome. So last Friday for the listeners that maybe don't follow Valley football, um, Southern Illinois Salukis played the, uh, Southeast Missouri Red Hawks. And um, it was one of those cross-conference uh, games because uh, Missouri Valley Football Conference has moved their season to the spring. But due to proximity, there was a game in Carbondale. Baker, it just felt right. Um, it was awesome to be able to turn on ESPN+. Plus. Um, actually, it's technically three. And just uh, see the Saluki logo, hear the marching band. There were no fans other than family at the game. Um, it was a great game. Saluki's won on a last-second field goal to win it. Um, it. It just felt right, Baker. Dude, yeah. Okay, so number one, I did see some highlights. So saw some highlights come across the screen on that. Um, number one, your helmets are awesome, by the way, just with the new logo. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm the weird guy that talked about the courts last year, so I feel I can get away with saying about the helmets. Your helmets are freaking awesome. So I'm going to start with that. Um, but I know you texted me last week, and you were like, when the game was going on, you're like, this just feels so awesome to be able to watch a football game. And it's just, I feel like for you, it had to be like that break from kind of like, I mean, just not having your team. Yeah. And, and that's the main thing. And, you know, I've said it multiple times, like Baker, I'd say you're more of a, for lack of a better term, a generalist uh, sports fan than I am. And whereas I focus in on my teams and my teams only. So I really haven't had anything to root for, for a while. Mm -hmm. And it just felt good. You know, we've talked about this at length uh, in the basketball season, but just, calling my dad after the game and being talking through, you know, so the kickers from Southern Illinois. So being a Southern Illinois and we kind of have pride when they stick in, <laughs> when they stay in Southern Illinois and go and play for SIU. So the kicker hit that. So we're saying, you know, the pride of Johnson city, you know, you know, excited, <laughs> you know, awesome. we're, we always get behind the Southern Illinois people. And uh, it was just good to, you know, be able to call my dad and talk through some Saluki football. It was pretty cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I was scared I, too. I, Real quick, um, even I mean, it was big for just my parents and, and our friend group. I mean, uh, I would say my parents have been quarantining with friends. Um, you know, what do they call it? The the quarantine, you know, bubble of friends or whatever. Sure, and they tailgated. Sure. Uh, they had people over at our house, and oh, they did awesome. a social distancing tailgate. And um, I mean, they were excited for it. You know, they were planning to go to the game, and unfortunately, um, you know, in Illinois, things had started to spike, but. They got together to watch the game, and I mean, it's just it's just cool, Baker. It was good to have something to root for. Nah, that's awesome. I've met some of the I've met some of the the Vance Southern Illinois crew, and they're all all good people, especially your dad. Um, it's it's kind of interesting. You brought up a good point, and and it's kind of a takeoff about the whole like you haven't had anything other because you're more of a specific team fan, which which is a little different than me. But one thing I found interesting is. Now that, like, normally the NBA would be ramping up right now, the NHL would be rolling again. Um, but literally, it's just football right now. And now college basketball is going to kind of come in the back door and kind of get, like, a month-and-a-half head start on, like, the NBA and the NHL. Uh, I think that's kind of cool. I, I don't know your thoughts on that. I know, I know it's kind of up in the air of how everything's going to work. But, like, 
I feel like that's kind of cool. I think it's, it's a great time for amateur sports to shine um, and hopefully uh, showcase the way that they can handle um, the pandemic and social distancing and quarantining the right way. Um, because, you know, in professional sports, you can kind of dictate what your employees um, can do, right? Um, you're paying them, you know, that's not the case in amateur sports. And so I'm really excited. Um, and I'm going to say I'm, I'm excited because um, they're going to get their turn. Um, unfortunately, in college football, especially in the Big Ten country that we live in, um, that it hasn't been successful, you know, specifically Wisconsin. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to see what basketball can, can do. Let's see what some of these uh, multi-team event or MTE tournaments can do when they bring four to five to eight teams to a campus or a geographic mm -hmm. location and see if they can do it. And, you know, as a fan, I hope it's successful, obviously. And I, I'm just ready for amateur sports to have their – um, their national time on the big stage to showcase what we can do. And, and you know what? It's, and I, I think all those are great points. And another thing I kind of want to add to that is with them being on the stage, like you got to think like the NFL, you know, there's, there's nights during the week where you don't have any competition with the NFL, college football, really. I mean, the Mac will be back here and there, but <laughs> Mac um, tonight. Hey, nothing against the Mac. I'm a big Eastern Michigan fan. Um, but uh, it's, it's going to be interesting, though, is like those kind of Monday, Tuesday nights where, you know, maybe you get a non-conference game with like some of your big boys playing some maybe Missouri Valley School and some of these MTs. Um, maybe you do have a little more exposure. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just it's more wishful thinking on my part. But um, maybe these maybe these games will mean a little bit more because more eyeballs will be on it because normally you've got so much competition with college basketball, like Monday Night Football and like everything going on. It's like no one's paying attention to college basketball till we hit January, February. Absolutely. And unfortunately, and I'm going to say unfortunately for Valley fans um, and just Valley at large hopefuls, November, December matter for the Valley. And for I sure. don't know what's that, what that's going to be like this year, but I think as a fan that Northern Iowa, Loyola, the Bradleys of the world for this year, I don't think they have to walk on eggshells in November and December because this is going to be such a weird year. Whereas mm -hmm. Valley fans from an at-large perspective, we're looking at November, December and being like, we have to be perfect, like, or we're done for, you know, and that that's a sad place for us to be in. So I'm kind of excited about this year that there's some, you can almost play loose for lack of a better term that not every one of those games is going to matter because there's going to be cancellations. There's going to be a deviation in plans this year. Most likely, I hope not, yep. but most likely that's going to be the case. So maybe we're not walking on, on eggshells this year, Baker. Yeah. It, it, it's certainly going to be fascinating to see how the landscape is toward the end because, because there, I, I still feel like there may be that point, like, like you're, like you're saying, you know, maybe you can't play open because they, maybe they add teams to the NCAA tournament where it's just, you know, they double the amount of teams that go in just to kind of account for all the teams who, um, you know, quote unquote, may have a shot to make it. Absolutely. Um, and I, and I think that that's a real possibility this year, obviously as a fan of mid-major, of mid-major conference and teams in mid-major conference, I mean, that only helps them. I mean, if you add, because I mean, how many times are those, are those teams in the Missouri Valley just on the right on the outside looking in? I mean, then you may have four you know, say they doubled the teams to the tournament, you might be looking at four, five, six teams in the tournament because of how deep the Valley is. So um, it'll be really interesting to watch. I know there's wishful thinking on both of our parts at the same time, but um, like, 
I think we can both agree. Like, let's just get the hoops rolling and just can't wait to get it going. And I can't wait to jump into these two teams tonight. We've got Missouri State coming up next, and then we'll talk about my Salukis. So, Baker, you ready to jump into it? Let's do it. All right, let's, uh, let's get Wyatt Wheeler from the Springfield News Leader um, up next. All right, Valley fans, we are excited. First time guest uh, to have Wyatt Wheeler from the Springfield News Leader with us. Wyatt covers all things Missouri State Bears uh, for the Springfield News Leader. How are we doing tonight, Wyatt? Uh, you're hyping me up a little too much. I don't. I think a lot of people are going to turn off. Uh, turn off the episode now that they hear that I'm on. Uh, a little sick of me by now, but uh, we'll see how it goes. So um, you've been covering the Bears for some time. You went to school at Missouri State. Maybe take the progression of you know just how you got uh, to covering the Bears. Oh yeah, I went. To, I did. I mean, I'm from Bloomington, Normal. So I uh, I was Dana Ford's ball boy back when he was in college. Uh, when I was a little kid, so that makes him feel old, even though he's uh, this young up-and-coming coach, so he he doesn't like it when we talk about that story. Um, but yeah, he came down to Missouri State after a couple years at Northern Illinois, got involved in the paper, uh, the school paper, and then uh, one morning I was going to the bathroom uh, when I woke up too early, and I tweeted at the news leader, and I said, hey, can I have a job? And then I went back to sleep, and then I woke up a couple hours later with a couple editors in my inbox. Uh, offering me a job so uh, a few layoffs later and uh, I was all that remained and I'm all that remains still so uh, heck of a story it's not very inspirational for the kids who want to be journalists someday but uh, <laughs> uh, teachers hate it they're like oh how how about all the internships you get you had uh, to get to your job <laughs> I, had to, I had to go to the bathroom one morning and I tweeted a smart aleck comment and uh, editors offered me a job so uh, here I am sorry guys don't do what I did. Go do internships. <laughs> That's awesome. Work Your advice from Wyatt Wheeler, uh, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> um, hey, I got to ask, you know, I'm just kind of curious, you know, going to school at Missouri State, I'm assuming you followed athletics there. Is it hard or maybe talk through what it's like, you know, just being a journalist whenever you might be a fan of the program as well? Like, do you run into that issue at all? Never. I uh, never became a fan of Missouri State athletics. Uh, that's something, I mean, when I got immediately involved in the paper, the school paper, I knew I want to be a good journalist. I want to be fair. I want to be able to critique things. Uh, I, like I say to this day, although I graduated from the university, I never feel like I went to the university. Like I love and uh, cherish the, the friendships I had, the professors I had and everything. Um, I, I, I appreciate all that, but athletics program, the school, um, I, I'm as I can be as critical as anybody. Uh, just never became a fan. Like I, I enjoy, I like the people. I, I hope some of the people succeed, but that just kind of comes with covering uh, sports, no matter wh who you are around. So I mean, I like Dana Ford as a person, um, and I hope he has success someday, just because I like him as a person. Uh, but I could say the same thing about like Dan Muller or Porter Moser because they all seem like good people too. Um, but no, I, I, I don't come into that problem because I've, I, I've tried as hard as I could to not become a fan. And I saw just kind of from being in journalism, I saw a lot of like the dirty laundry in the background to where I could be like, there's no re like I, I see all this stuff and it's hard to become a fan and I want to be good for my readers. Uh, so that was, ne that was never, ever a problem. So let's start talking about Dana Ford's Bears. Um, and, and I think the first thing I want to bring up is, is kind of transition when you brought up Dana Ford. 
I think to me, the biggest thing with Missouri State is last year they had an insane amount of expectations and hype around the team going into the season. Uh, didn't quite live up to that hype. Uh, they had some had some good moments followed by a lot of really bad moments. And it was kind of one of those things now we're going into Dana Ford's third season where expectations are pretty slim. And, and it kind of feels like you can kind of breathe fresh air again. And it feels like it's kind of a clean slate type of thing for them. Um, kind of overall, what are your thoughts going into this season? Just kind of overall thoughts. Yeah, I try. I struggle with that as I, I don't know how far I want to go into expectations, especially in a COVID-19 year. Uh, when you don't really know what to expect. Um, I think in a normal year, you're going into a third year of a five-year contract. You had those high expectations last year after they overachieved that first year. Um, so you want to see something a lot better. You should demand more, even though the expectations are lower. Uh, you should expect them to improve off of last year, which was so miserable. I mean, there were times last year where you're like, where I mean, the whole story around them, they weren't playing like a team. They have all these newcomers, all these Division One transfers, and just pieces of the puzzle that never fit together. Um, and, a, and a big thing for him this offseason was to go out, and he does have a lot of newcomers. He has the same number, I believe, the same number of newcomers as he did the year before. Um, but this year, he kind of focused on a little more team team oriented guys so he's going to the juco level instead of guys who are just trying to get out one and done or uh, just have a grad grad season and uh, have a good year and be the star somewhere else like you see like a lamont west or somebody like that yeah. um so i mean that's uh it, it's it's really hard to judge because you don't know how much these guys have been able to form that chemistry going into a new year just because there's so many new pieces and you're starting allegedly November 25th, and you don't know what this you don't know what this uh, uh, season looks like. So I, I temper my expectations a little lower, and I don't think it's I don't know how fair it would be to be so critical of him, especially in a weird year. But this is a time where you need to see something change, um, and just because of the expectations that there were last year, you saw how great they, how overachieving they did the first year. I mean, mm -hmm. they were expected to be at the bottom of the Valley. Um, a few newcomers. I mean, Josh Webster wasn't supposed to be this breakout star or anything. And you see this guys like Ryan Kreklow and Jared Dixon who have been good team players before, uh, but weren't really those standout names, but he was still able to get something out of Webster leadership wise to work really hard and switch things up mid year to make them, that they've competed for the Valley regular season championship until the final mm -hmm. of the season. So when you take that and then you have this loaded roster, I mean, it wasn't just me hyping it up. It was me talking to people, uh, even the pre, like at the, at Arch Madness were like, Oh, Missouri state should be this team. When you see guys coming at, coming in, like Tyreek Dixon was coming off of a sit out transfer year. Uh, Josh Hall was there too. So you expect those names to kind of have those, uh, breakout ability with Atulio De Silva going into his second year, um, but it just fell flat. And uh, that was really disappointing for a lot of people around here. I mean, that's two and three years where you have your pick to win the league and you fall way low of expectations because that final year of Paul Lust, you have the NBA player and Alizé Johnson on the same team. Um, so, I mean, it's just a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth, but uh uh, just expectations for this year. I, I just struggle with what I would label on there. 
Um, I think they were picked in the right spot at sixth in the Valley, uh, just because there's a lot of unknown around them. And I would group them in the same kind of group where they were uh, kind of in that third tier where you don't expect them to be a, uh, Loyola or Northern Iowa, and you still don't expect them to be like a Bradley or Southern Illinois, uh, but just kind of in that middle tier with like a Drake where you don't know, but you've seen good stuff from them before with that coach. Um, but I, I do think you got to sh- see a little bit of thing, something that can give you hope for year four, year five to where Dana Ford kind of proves that he is the guy. Um, it's just a, it's a t- it's kind of a tough spot, but uh, I mean, you see firings all over the country still, even though there is stuff going on like this. So you broke some news on Twitter that I think shocked a lot of people. Um, Gage Prim maybe lost some weight, and so what does it even look like? I can't even wrap my head around it. Um, obviously, it was probably intentional if I had to guess. Um, but did he did his? I think you you maybe got to see a shootout. Um, or, or something, some type of practice they had. You know, maybe walk through that. Has has anything just changed other than his physical looks? And I, I think just his physical looks, and he's healthy. Um, I think a lot of that, like the, I mean, there was that mystery injury. They always called it a legs injury. Uh, it was very frustrating. Dana, what's the injury? He's like, I don't, I can't, I don't want to tell you guys. Engage doesn't want me telling you guys. Okay, we respect that, but it's still a mystery injury that we're all really wondering because it's really weird. Uh, he's, games and he's being load managed and everything um but uh shin splints was always the rumor and that's what we I mean we all pretty much think is shin splints is what he had um so I think I think losing that weight can take a little pressure off of that I'm not a doctor I think that I think that sounds right yeah Um, but but I but I mean he is slimmer I mean I was I saw him at Missouri State's uh March for Racial Injustice Awareness uh, just a few months back, and I had to do a double take. I'm like, is that is that really Gage Prim? Like, <laughs> he's gotten smaller. I feel like I stand a better chance against him if we were to if we were to fight because he like a question I asked him. But uh, I mean, he's still this big. He's still a big dude. I mean, don't get me wrong there. Um, but I, he looks in shape. I think he's going to be able to play more minutes this year. And, I mean, just the way he plays basketball is pretty much the same because you still see those weird uh, big man center, throwback center type shots where you're seeing the crazy rainbows. And um, But, I mean, he's, he's still – he's moving around a little better. And he was one of the better players in the Valley last year when it came to uh, production per minute. I mean, he didn't have too many minutes because they were – load managing him and just uh, just what he was able to do and what he was doing uh, made them a better team. He was a guy that Dana loved. He's a guy that Dana still loves. And uh, I think he's, I think he's going to be one of the better players in the Valley going to this year. And I think just losing that weight, uh, cutting that, cutting that a little bit of that off and being healthy is just going to make the bears a little bit better. And uh, I I think, I mean, he's got first team potential. Yeah, Um, no doubt. Especially there with uh, I, I think he could give Crutwig a run for his money because I, I think uh, the, the, those two matched up in this past season um, just was really fun to watch. They're similar players, although Prem's uh, a little smaller now. Um, but uh, that's going to be a fun matchup to watch twice a year, two, three times a year down in the post. 
Yeah, and five two from Northern Iowa. That's just the those those matchups are going to be fun to watch. You know, uh, Wyatt, I haven't met you in person, but um, I don't think I like your chances in a fight with uh, Gage Prim. Just no, 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 no. I've seen yeah. I've seen him arm wrestle like David. <laughs> I always ask because we had Luke Voigt play baseball down here too, and he's that mammoth of a man playing first base for the New York Yankees. And I just want to know how many of me would be able to take stand half a chance there. So, I, <laughs> and they say more than five. So I think, uh, I think Luke could take gauge. So maybe four of me, but uh, I, I would have gauge in a, in a fight. Just, it just matters. It's, it's just how many of me uh, you could clone to stand a chance in that. No, I think it, it's the, you know, going back to the gauge prim piece, it's like, I think an interesting point that you made is you always kind of noticed him on the floor. You always kind of – he was he was one of those players that stood out. When he was getting minutes, uh, whether he got a lot of minutes or just a few in the games, he always kind of made an impact. And and you noticed with his footwork was really good, and he just did the right things in there. And I remember – as an Illinois State fan, I was at the Illinois State-Missouri State game, and it just – when he, him and Fisher were going at it, it was just a very – I mean, he wasn't – he doesn't give an inch. I mean, he's just – he seems like one of those players that's just a pain to play against. Oh, I really like him. I mean, this is a guy, he was first team all JUCO coming out. I mean, he was the number two JUCO recruit in the country, according to JUCOrecruiting.com. And I've, and I've heard stories of just how these big-time coaches tried to make a last push at him at the last second when he was already committed to Missouri State. I heard an assistant coach had to get in a car and drive to his home in Aurora, in Aurora Colorado and put Gage Prim in the car and drive him straight to admissions, the admissions office, to make sure he signed the papers to make sure they had him. So, like, I've, I've heard that story. That's been a thing with him. Like, they were, they were scared, like, Bruce Pearl was going to come in at the last second and take him. So, <laughs> that's who we're looking at there. But, I mean, I mean, he's not the NBA-type player that you're used to seeing right now. Um, and kind of that dying breed of those big men uh, might be a little short for that as well. But, I mean, this is a player that just uh, fights down there. He's one that a lot of people kind of roll their eyes at when he goes onto the court because they don't want to deal with him. And they just kind of want to get him out, get him in foul trouble, do whatever they can to tire him down. And uh, I, I, everything just looks better when he's out there. And I think he's the best passer on the team as well. I mean, that's an underrated thing about his game. Uh, as much as the post, as uh, pretty as the post moves can be, when he has the ball and he finds an open teammate, he can he has the, some of the best passes uh, on the team. So I think that's just another aspect of him that makes him great and just makes him one of the best players in the league. Yeah, no, I, I, he's he's been one of my favorite players in the league for for the last year. Just just watching him out there is always fun to watch because, like I said, you always see him on the floor and he just he makes such an impact. I think the next guy for me that I wanted to get your take on is, is one of the amazing now sophomores in the league, Isaiah Mosley. I think he kind of, as the year progressed um, and, and, and there were, there were some seniors on the team. He started to kind of find his niche and he was kind of starting to emerge as a guy that going into this season, I mean, I think he's, he's gotta be the number two option on this team. And, and a guy that I think is really, I'd love to. I'd love to hear your take. It is kind of. Did you see the same thing? Did you see his kind of progression through the year to kind of get to this point where it feels like he started by the end of the year? He had gotten. He figured it out. There were moments when he took over, um, uh, just little spurts. And I think if he once he gets a little more consistent there, make those spurts a little longer, 
um, that he could really take over and be a really, really good scorer. I mean, this, this is a guy I've been watching since high school. Um, he's a Columbia kid uh, playing state championships in JQH Arena. I mean, this kid was really, really highly regarded in the state of Missouri. Um, and they were surprised. I don't know how surprised they were that got him because at the time they had Dewan Harris and they had Jamonte Black, who were both his high school teammates. Dewan Harris ended up, uh, they ended up, he ended up having to get out of school. Um, and then he ended up uh, being a redshirt freshman at Kansas a year ago. So, I mean, that's the elite level that that school was at. Uh, that high school was playing. But, I mean, Isaiah, I mean, he, he has a little bit of everything. He can be creative when he gets to the rim, gets just good ball handling. Uh, he has a shot. And that's a guy that Dana Ford has said uh, for the last – ever since he got him, he's like, that's going to be a top ten scorer in school history. Uh, this is a kid that can just create his own shot and uh, really athletic, good scoring kid. And, I mean, this – and. I, I, I see that little bit of a breakout just because he started to figure it out. He's got, I mean, he's, he's six foot five. He's a, he's a mismatch for a lot of guys. He's super athletic. And, and I think that this is a, this is a kid that they've kind of had planned to be the centerpiece around um, just from, uh, he was that big of a recruit for them when they landed him. I remember the celebration when they got him just because it was uh, such a big deal to, see him win a state championship the day before he announces on Twitter that he's coming to Missouri State. Um, and he did it on the bear logo, on that ginormous bear logo. So, I mean, it's uh, – That's awesome. But, I mean, he's he, – I think he's a special player. Um, that's one that Dana has been really high on. Uh, he's a great player in Missouri that we've gotten to know. And the only – I think the big thing that people fear is just keeping him because <laughs> – he has that type of ceiling and you and he was regarded as a better recruit than Dewan Harris before Dewan ended up leaving and having to uh, having to leave uh for for other, for reasons and then he ends up at Kansas so I mean that's something that a lot of people are holding their breath about um but I I think he him and Jamonte uh high school teammates really love being Bears and I think they can really those two could be really good players to build around the future and uh, they're they're just good. <laughs> yeah, he's I I'm I'm excited to see what he looks like this year. Just especially like coming off the end of last year where he really took over. But I guess so. The next part I want to ask you about and it's kind of a two parter. Um, if you look at this roster, um, no shortage of big guys. Um, a lot of a lot of size on this team. I guess the, my my first question is, uh, what's the health of Ritter going into this season? Where are we at there? And I kind of talk about some of these. Uh, some of these lesser-known big guys on the team, uh, there, there's a handful. I mean, when you look down this roster, 6'7", 6'7", 6'10", 6'11", 7'0". I mean, it's, it is no shortage of height. Yeah, that's something Dana has talked about since he was first brought in, um, just getting that length. And, I mean, you look at the positions, when, even when you bring up 6'7", 6'7", 6'7", you're looking at 6'5", uh, 6'5", six, six, uh, freshman guards. Mm-hmm. Six seven uh, JUCO transfer who can play guard forward. Uh, six four Jamonte Black. Um, so I mean that's uh, th that's something Dana's been. Uh, he's talked about a lot, and that's something he had a little bit at Tennessee State, which just where he could have guys 
um, just mismatch all or be able to guard multiple positions, be able to play multiple positions. And that's something you see more and more in positionless basketball. So, I mean, that's a, uh, uh, yeah, that is, that's something that Dana's definitely had that eye on, and it's something we've all been uh, marveling at as he's been able to just create more and more length for this team. Uh, even a guy like 6'10", Nick Tata, you don't see as a uh, center in this team. Uh, when you have a guy like Gage Prem playing mostly center at 6'8", Nick Tata is still going to come in and be a four there. Mm -hmm. um, that's just that's kind of an ath really athletic six ten guy that they're re that they're really excited about uh, coming from Blinn College uh, JUCO. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, the, the length is something that they're gonna that's definitely gonna stick out, um, and, and that's just something that Dana's been known for trying to do. Uh, you bring up Jared Ritter, six eight junior forward. Um, his I mean I saw him at the exhibition, the little practice they had for us uh, for the fans on homecoming. And that's uh, uh, he, that was the most comfortable I've seen him since he's been at Missouri State. Now, he had a redshirt freshman year. Uh, he didn't like Xavier, came back home. He's a local kid, uh, mm -hmm. high school at Kickapoo, which is right here in Springfield, right down the street. Um, so he wanted to be home. Um, sits out that Xavier year, ends up having to do the year in, uh, the year in residence to where he has to sit out until semester's end. Um, for his uh, redshirt freshman year, and he was never really quite comfortable when they brought him in. Uh, a lot of that had to do with the offensive system they were running, that three-man weave, uh, boring thing that they were running for uh, 15 games in that season, which really turned their season around, but it doesn't play really into what Jared Ritter's good at, which is just a really good shooter. Um, but, I mean, uh, and then he, go, he plays six minutes last year, tears his labrum, uh, mm -hmm surgery so that's uh um so i mean just not a very good start to his career three years in um but he i mean the the other day or the couple of weeks ago that was the most comfortable i've seen him I, I was really happy to see that somebody we've gotten to know in the area just a good dude um but i, I mean he was driving down the lane doing little floaters uh fadeaways fadeaway threes in the corners that were going in um, it really looked like an older player, even though he only has a semester of college basketball under his belt in six minutes. So, and he didn't ever really look comfortable in that one semester. So, uh, it was really nice to see that comfort when you, I mean, that's the number one recruit in state his senior year. Uh, Mr. Show Me Basketball, Xavier University. Uh, really big deal when he decided to come back home. Uh, but just never really was healthy, never got a, in a fit. Um, but I, I, he's going to be a good weapon for Missouri State. I, I, I think he has a shot at cracking the starting five. Um, but I, I think that that's something that he just looked comfortable in. And it's crazy to think with some of these new rules how long he's going to be around now because he's a redshirt freshman. He's going to get that medical wave. He was a red. He's going to get that medical waiver uh, for that six minutes most likely. And then you get the plus one year now <laughs> with uh, some of these rules. So we're looking at another four years of Jared around here. And uh, I think <laughs> including this year, because just because of how uh, his career's shaped out so far. So uh, we're sick of him, um, but we <laughs> enjoy him. He's uh, but uh, it's ha I'm happy to see him healthy. And uh, I would, I would expect him to be a, a nice contributor to this team. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, you talked about some of the new guys and the height and, you know, when the ball goes down to, to prim, you know, who's going to be sitting out on the perimeter, you know, from everything we we've seen DeMarcus Sharp could be that, that three point threat um, can shoot it out of the, the lights. Is that what you're, you, you think as well, maybe any thoughts on him? Yeah. DeMarcus Sharp's the uh, biggest newcomer that a lot of people are excited about. Um, I've seen him listed by some magazines as a possible, uh, newcomer of the year for the league. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's, uh, he's another one of those first team Juco guys like Gage. Uh, that's, yeah. uh, uh, he was another highly regarded player coming out of Juco. And I, I know the coaches are really excited about what he can do. Um, just be able to, he's a guy who can create his own shot and he's a guy who can create for others. Uh, he's a, he's going to be a better, I mean, you saw Tyree Dixon last year. Yep. Uh, he was more of he wasn't a very good scorer, uh, uh, and he was, but he was known for his efforts on the defensive side. I think this is a guy that will show you a little more offensively and be able to share the ball while still giving you some contributions on the defensive side. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind he'll be starting point guard opening night, uh, whenever that is. But I mean, that's just a that, that's a that's a really good guy that they're they're really high on and uh, just another a few years of him is gonna make them better because uh, he's a pretty good player and uh, uh, that's just and to be able to have him for maybe a third year now because of that plus one rule just makes them a little bit better right now that's uh, that especially because the COVID given you and the NCAA giving you one extra year not really counting this year um, yep. it's a good guy to have experience for the next three years. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be interesting to see if, if he can be that kind of fill-in for for what Tyreek Dixon was going to be last year as kind of that point guard and then maybe add some more scoring. That's going to be so big for this team, in my opinion. One person, one more that I want to ask you about, and, and I don't know, um, this is the one I couldn't find a ton on, um, and I don't want to butcher the name, but I'm going to. Um, Melvin Abanacoli, uh, the one, the the young guy out of France. Um what do you know about him? Yeah, uh, that, <laughs> I'm putting the pressure on you. This one. There was a, there is, I mean, he he comes from overseas, so there was. I, a know. Lot of, <laughs> I know that's the thing. It's like uh, you look up that you and uh, he played for the number two prep school in France. Yeah, so he's got a little bit of a pedigree coming in. So then I kind of they kind of get you excited, but I don't know a thing about him. So what can you tell yeah, us? About I mean, him? It, it was just kind of writing about him when he came in. Uh, it was a lot, I had to teach myself French to try to read some. <laughs> Him, some of the recruit, recruiting stuff, but no, he's just another one of those. Uh, he's another one of those long guys, six foot seven mm -hmm. forward. Um, just uh, uh, he uh, coming from that pedigree, being able to play kind of some of those professional guys. I mean, he's playing on the U17, U18, yep. 21 FIBA teams, uh, leading teams to reach some really good, uh, uh, really good rankings there. So, I mean, this is a guy that they, I mean. Um, just they've kind of gone over and gotten some of those uh, highly regarded uh, international players. Um, the uh, the Woshik twins were really highly regarded when they came in, uh, although they didn't pan out. Um, I mean, they, they've had their eyes and trying to get these guys and bringing them in. And I know this is another one of those guys that they're pretty excited about. Uh, just another one of those young guys uh, just being a freshman this year, they've um, yeah, 
it's just something that they've been able to look at a little outside the box. Um, I know that raw talent to have in the back pocket. That's always going to be that you can kind of blend to what you want. No, I, I I agree. I I think that's an awesome way to take at it. It, It's always interesting when you see um, the the foreign born players come into the Missouri Valley. Um, You know, I know a lot of uh, Drake or I'm sorry, Evansville was, had some, had some great success for, with some of those guys uh, in the past few years under Marty Simmons. So I, I, it, you always, I, it, always, it always makes me curious whenever I see some of these guys come from overseas. And another thing with him, too. I mean, he's a freshman, and they have some pieces ahead of him that can play a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can mix him in a little bit and here and there, um, but he, you don't have to set the expectations too high for him. You're trying to see what you got in him. Um, Take your time. Because you're going to see a guy like Keaton Hervey getting a lot of minutes. That's the six-seven JUCO guy uh, transferring in from uh, New Mexico Junior College. Uh, that a lot of they I mean, that might be uh, right under Demarcus Sharp. That might be who they're most excited for after that, because he's a, a really good athlete. Um, and I mean, you got Gage Prim and Nick Tata there too. So I mean, they have a lot of people that are able to just kind of keep a little of the. Uh, freshman load off of him and they I mean just they just have a lot of pieces right now to build for the future hey Wyatt thank you so much man like I I think we got more than we thought we were and that's awesome or not not mean that in a bad way but this is awesome I mean uh it's always good to just get the conversation around Missouri State we actually have not had anyone on from Missouri State so this is definitely a school that we uh we always need help looking around the corner on and this definitely did it. Uh, so where, where can people find you um, outside of this podcast? <laughs> yeah, I'm at Wyatt Wheeler underscore NL. Um, that's where you can find me on Twitter, news-leader.com uh, is where you find all my writings. I'm on the radio now. Uh, although cool. People re- don't really like me. Um, but that's a good thing you want for a radio guy. Um, it, it's bad that my idol Stu Gotts, uh, that doesn't make me the best radio, uh, <laughs> no. uh, but I, but, uh, I don't want, I don't want to be too good at it. I like, I like writing more, but, uh, 96, nine, the jock in Springfield, I uh, got a new Missouri state athletics newsletter that goes out once a week and, uh, I'm, uh, I'm busy, but I hope we'll be doing a little bit more of, uh, um, the Valley Beat podcast as well throughout the season with some of the other beat reporters. A little compliment for what you guys are doing. Um, And and just uh, trying to do what we can to give everybody a little bit of something. But uh, you guys can have me on anytime. Awesome. Wyatt, you know, definitely you were uh, on the list of one guy we just wanted to connect with. Everyone just uh, has always said, just make sure you meet Wyatt this season. So um, it's, you've got a lot of kudos around the Valley. Um, so enjoy the work that you're doing. And uh, thanks for taking some time to join us. Yeah, I don't know if they're saying, you, you got to see what this character is. You got to <laughs> just uh, pick his brain a little bit. Cause, uh, Absolutely. Get into my thoughts on the moon. We didn't get into my thoughts on dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's some interesting things there. Uh, maybe next time. Yeah, stegosaurus till the day I die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thanks again. And uh, we'll, we'll see you down the road, uh, hopefully for uh, the Valley season uh, kicking off at some point. <laughs> yeah, at some point. We'll see, hopefully. <laughs> All right, Baker, so we just heard from Wyatt. Uh, we broke down Missouri State extensively. Um, what do you have to add? Yeah, not a ton. Um, I mean, we, we kind of dove into it. I think it's like we've been talking about this whole time is no expectations compared to the expectations that they've had over the past couple of years. Um, 
Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think the more and more I look at this team, I don't. I feel like depth might be an issue for them, just because um, with Mosley and Prim, they're going to that that's going to be a, a solid one-two to start with. But um, Demarcus Sharp, we don't know what 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 we're going to get out of him. He could be really good, could be you know whatever. Um, there's a lot of unknowns with this team, so it's really hard to to get super excited about him. Yeah, and maybe I'll clean you up a little bit. Like you say, depth, and I think it's experience in my mind. Right. No, that's that's a really good point. Um, just there are a lot of new faces. Uh, they could potentially have two starters that are JUCO transfers. For sure. Um, so it, that's where my head goes with them. But I mean, just as we broke it down with Wyatt, you know, just their height is just different than what we normally see in Valley teams. So it makes them, they're going to be fun to watch. It'll be an interesting team, and it'll be interesting to see going forward, and maybe not even this year, but as we go forward even further, how, how having all this length and athlete, a bunch of athletes on your team is going gonna, is gonna to work for Dana Ford. I know Dana Ford coming from Illinois State, he was a defensive guy himself, so I know he wants to implement that really good defensive mindset with his team. Um, maybe maybe this is kind of with that lesser experienced team from Valley perspective. Maybe he's able to kind of mold them his own way a little easier than last year's team. Um, so so for me, Missouri State's an interesting one. What, the over under for them, I'm gonna throw out to you now. Uh, I have them at seven and a half wins. And it's a really tough one to judge because I think you can make the ca- you can make the case that this over hits no matter what. But then you can also say, man, this is. This is gonna it's Missouri once, State. So you, those games, if Gage if Gage Prim goes go, gets in foul trouble, they're gonna you're you're got you got a lot of depth, a lot of a lot of length, but we don't know how good it is, you know. Yeah, like a lot of unknowns. So um, seven. I'm gonna go under. So you're gonna go under. Are you are you just I think curious? It's seven. Do you think it is seven? Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Very good. Yeah, I, th- I think you're. I think you're right there. Um, I think for them, I think that their their ceiling is probably that four or five as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think they're another one of these teams. Like like with Prim and Mosley alone, you're going to be a dangerous team to any team in the Valley. Yes. You can match up on the inside, and you can match up with their best guard. Um, so they're, they're, I think they're going to be a fun team to like watch, like you said. I agree. All right, Valley fans, let's start talking about the Southern Illinois Salukis before we jump into them. Hey, Baker, take us through a little recap of last year. Now, the Saluki time. This is, this is, uh, this is pride and joy for you, Vance. Uh, last year was Brian Mullen's first year. They uh, finished a 16-16, and 16, a 500 record. Uh, they were 10-8 in the Missouri Valley, finishing in that number five seed, losing in the quarterfinals to Bradley in one of the most entertaining games of Arch Madness, 59-64. Uh, uh, sorry to bring up bad memories there. Um, in Brian Mullen's first year, obviously he exceeded expectations where expectations going in last year were much lower than they are now. Um, they had an award winner, uh, obviously Marcus Domaskis, the guy um, who had the great season last year, freshman of the year, newcomer of the year, all newcomer team, all freshman team, and second team, all Missouri Valley. Um, the, the, one that, the one tough part with the dogs is a lot of departures. Uh, I'm going to go down the list here real fast. Uh, Carrington Davis, Ronnie Suggs, Eric McGill, Aaron Cook, Barrett Benson, Harwin Francois, and Brendan Gooch are all leaving the Saluki basketball team. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I know any more than you do about the Saluki, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, where, what do you like about your dogs going into the season? Yeah, it's a really interesting season, Baker. Um, I think the term sophomore slump is going to be thrown around a lot in Valley circles. Um, I do not necessarily agree with it, but it's definitely on anyone's radar, right? 
Um, you know, preseason uh, surprise is no word I'm going to use, but I'm cautiously optimistic about where I would say some of the preseason um, uh, polling has put them. So in NBC, they were picked fifth. Uh, Three Man Leave had them at sixth. Um, then Lindy's actually had them at eight. And then uh, Ken Palm actually came out today. Today's Wednesday, uh, Wednesday after the election. Ken Palm has it at eighth as well. Um, one thing that I, I was going to like bring up with you, Baker, is um, is this the team that lost the most in the offseason? I mean, it has to be. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, to me, your two best players last year at the end of the season were the two best players going into this season. Yeah. But, man, you lost everything else. I mean, we've got no, – I mean, of the start, we lost th- three to four starters, however you want to look at the season. I mean, one of our transfers, Aaron Cook didn't play last year, but he played the previous two years under uh, yep. Coach Henson. I mean, he transferred to Gonzaga, and Gonzaga in a lot of polls are picked to be the best team in the country, Baker. And right. he, like, in all – everything I've looked at, he's kind of their, um, for lack of a better term, safety net for them in case they're, they're younger guys. They had one of the best recruiting classes, um, you know, in the country – if they don't pan out or if they need some, you know, just veteran exposure, like he's going to see the court is what I'm trying to say. And so he's going to be really, he's going to be really solid there. He's going to be kind of one of those guys that they can, he's going to be kind of like the, he's kind of like one of those guys, whenever like an an NBA team gets a, gets a guy who's been a lead for a while. He's a pro. Like, I mean, he is one of those like rock solid guys that um, you're not going to, you might not, it's not, might not blow it away over at Gonzaga, but he's going to be really good. So um, yeah, I totally agree. I think losing his leadership, even though he was only there for a short time, I think it does matter. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm not surprised by them getting picked in the middle of the league, you know, at five and NBC. But, you know, unfortunately for me is I feel like expectations are higher on the Salukis. And I do think they're going to be a great team. Um, but, you know, on paper, they lost everything. So I'm somewhat surprised and cautiously optimistic that they were picked as high as they were. Um, they've got some great uh, transfers coming in, I mean, to um, complement Lance Jones and Marcus Damask, which Lance Jones, we probably don't talk enough about. You know, second half of the conference season, I think he was sniffing first-team freshman uh, – first, sorry, first-team all-freshman team um, along with Marcus Damask. I mean, if there was a second team, he probably would have been on it in, in a lot of polls, but we don't do that um, for conference season. So there's just a lot of untested people on the Skooky team, but I think this is probably more of a vote of confidence for Coach Mullins in his second year than it is we know the players they're bringing in, if that makes sense, Baker. So I got an interesting question. So I totally agree with you about Lance Jones. Um, even with the and, – and, like, if you look at that all-freshman team and then you look at, like, the next six guys that missed the all-freshman team last year, like, the Valley had an insane amount of good freshmen. I'm going to put you on the spot with something, though, that I'm just kind of curious about. In the second half of the Valley regular season, who's your best player? Um, I mean, Lance Jones is up there. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I was alluding to. Like, yep. And, and I know Damask is the guy, and I'm sure – the second time he's seeing teams for a second time. So they're going to key in on a yeah. little bit more, but it felt like Lance Jones was the best player on the Salukis for the second half of the season. And especially when you watch the games, it was one of those guys that like you started to notice and it was just like, okay, um, he's a player. 
Yep. It was definitely a Jekyll and Hyde that like the first half of the season was Damask. It was, you know, he was coming out, he was new to the Valley and, you know, it was a lot of people just kind of discredit the whole freshman thing. But then once I'm not, I'm, he didn't get figured out by any means, but people were keen on him more than the Barrett Bensons of the world. Um, and, or, you know, Ronnie Suggs, any of those guys that were playing those hybrid positions. Um, so Lance Jones kind of had, um, I'm not saying a pass, but he was open more um, for the second half of the season. He made the most of it. And that's what was the best part as a Saluki fan to see is, you know, next man up mentality, which I know Coach Mullins is preaching. Yeah, he and and then you're not you're learning from one of the best point guards in the history of the Valley. From at least my perspective, I mean, Brian Mullins was was that rock solid point guard for a Valley team. Um, the part that I, so so, I you know, we might as well just get into the over under because I want to talk all about their kind of their expectations, because I'll be honest with you, Southern Illinois is, it might be the hardest team for me this year um, because I have two, I have two guys, they have the two guys that I love a lot, but man, it's, it, it comes down to Brian Mills fitting the defense together. Yeah. And, you know, I do want to talk about some of the younger guys or the newer guys um, that okay, yeah, go ahead. will hear for the first time this year, uh, because there's not a ton of experience on this team, uh, Baker. Uh, so coming back, you know, you guys, Siku Dembele, um, you know, just he's a body. Um, you know, he was kind of injury prone. You know, I don't see him cracking the, the starting five by any means, but he is a big body that can gobble up rebounds and is just a good complimentary player. You got Trent Brown, who will D up anyone, um, you know, next man up uh, on the defensive end. Um, so, I mean, that's really who we have back is – um, we're a, we, we are not a veteran team by any means. I'm looking at the roster and we don't have a true senior that didn't transfer in. Um, so some of the new guys we're excited about, um, the one that me personally, that's not getting a ton of preseason hype is Ben Harvey. I'm really excited to see him. He spent the entire season with the Salukis last year. He was sitting out. Um, he's a transfer from, Hey, you're Eastern Illinois Panthers Baker. I know you're pumped about him. <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> but from what I understand, you know, reading some of the, the good articles put out uh, by Todd Heffernan is that he's played every um, person in the Valley. He's been anyone from A.J. Green to name anyone in the Valley. He's, he's that scout team person. So, um, you know, whenever you're on the scout team or, you know, um, playing, the, playing the other team, getting the Salukis ready to play conference teams, he's pulling that best person on the team to – give them the look. So it's not like he's brand new to the system. He spent an entire year practicing with the Slubies. Personally, I'm most excited about him. Um, and I think that he's going to land well in the, in the Valley. Just his, his game is Valley strong guard, lengthy guard. Um, he just, it's going to translate well, in my opinion, um, from the freshman perspective, um, Dalton Banks is another one from uh, Wisconsin that I'm really excited. You know, we've kind of started this Wisconsin pipeline after Damask and um, Dalton Banks pretty much broke every record at his high school. And from what I understand, he broke it his junior year. So um, senior year, pretty much uh, he just distanced himself from anyone ever breaking his records. Um, so we're really excited about him. It's a freshman that can come in and make an impact right away. Um, unfortunately, you know, we, we, uh, we, we, we already caught the injury bug actually this week. Um, Jadu Molia, um, I might be butchering that last name, but Juco transfer, um, has a torn meniscus. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. Oh. He was projected to be a starter. 
Um, essentially, he was a rebounding fiend in the in the JUCO ranks, and we were really we are we're still really excited about him. Uh, part of the Canada um, pipeline that we that Coach Mullins has kind of started, um, and so uh, that that's really just a bummer for us because uh, it just got announced this week too that we're starting our season against Louisville, and um, unfortunately he's not going to be able to go, and I feel like that inside presence is going to hurt us. But hopefully, you know, next man up. Um, I, I know what uh, Coach Mullins is trying to build there is. Um, we do have another D2 transfer, uh, Anthony D'Anvanzo, um, redshirt senior, uh, come into Salukis. He's 6'8". He's going to get some good minutes there, likely start now. Um, but another name I'm going to throw out there is uh, Kyler Filowich. Um, he's a freshman coming in from Canada. It's, he was technically our first ever Can Canadian uh, player at SIU. He's a 6'9 center. Um, and for all intents and purposes, if you look at him, he's got a very um, – he's got a Crutwick vibe to him, Baker. And that's <laughs> not that um, surprising since uh, Mullins came from Loyola to SIU. I don't know if you've seen pictures from him or seen any video from the game, but he definitely puts off a Crutwick vibe. Very good. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think you broke it down pretty well. Um, the one that you didn't mention was uh, Stephen Burr playing yeah. check um, who's also a D2 uh, transfer. He's a shooter, uh, over 16 points a game. Um, I, I got to think that he's going to be sniffing the starting lineup, at least from the early portion of the season. He is, and he's another one that it, it's going to be either uh, Dean Bonzo, and like I said, might be messing up that last name. Uh, Vern, Vern Plachekin. Verplanken, maybe? I don't know. Uh, Verplanken um, is who I was talking or who you're talking about. He is a D2 transfer. He got his waiver granted, which we're excited about because, uh, you know, NCAA started handing those out like candy and we weren't sure, you know, when he first came in. But he did get his waiver granted. I think he will likely be uh, sniffing the top five as well and will likely get some starting minutes early on in the season as, you know, we kind of figure out our rotations, for lack of a better term. Okay. Yeah. So and now, we'll, you know what? I tried to jump the gun on you earlier, but now we'll get into their preview for this year as, as kind of our prediction portion of it. Um, Cause like I said, this is a really, really hard team to pick um, because defensively, yeah, I know I'm going to love them, but um, I wonder that, you know, with the sophomore slump potential out there for a Jones or a Domask, um, they're going to need to, they're going to have to ha carry the bulk of the load. So I have their over under win total this year at nine and a half wins. Um, and then just for reference, last year they did get to the 10-win mark. Um, nine and a half wins in the Missouri Valley this year. Uh, Vance, your dogs, nine and a half. That's a lot, Baker. Um, I, I don't think it's terrible by any means. Uh, I'm, just for listeners, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to take the over because I'm never going to take the under on the, uh, <laughs> the dogs. So totally a homer. Uh, but I think that's you're right in the, um, the area. Um, I, I'm trying to find the player I'm thinking of that um, – let me – yep, found him. So, I think that this year is going to be very interesting with uh, Damask and Jones, uh, mainly Damask. But I think the equivalent from last year is DJ Wilkins from Drake. I'm mildly concerned of that sophomore slump. And that's kind of what happened to DJ Wilkins last year. There was a lot of hype on him his freshman year. Um, sophomore year, um, he, he had a great season, don't get me wrong, but he, he didn't, you know, put him on his back. 
Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on those younger guys who are still young. I, I, that's the thing with the Salukis is those veteran players that everyone thinks they're veterans, they're not. They're sophomores. Um, I'm, I'm very high on the Salukis just because I'm a big believer in Coach Mullins and the program's going in the right direction. But I, would I be surprised if they end up lower than fifth where they're picked? No, I wouldn't be. Um, so that, that's kind of my take on him. But, Baker, I'm going to hammer the over as a Salukis fan. Yeah, so, so this is tough. Um, for me, and, and, and you may disagree with this, I think their floor is ninth. Um, I think that this, I think that if it doesn't go well, um, if there is a sophomore slump, I think they could be ninth. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I have them fourth in the league. Um, I have them being in the top of that, that kind of tier three there where with the four through nine, I have them at the top of it because I believe enough in Brian Mullins defense. Um, I know I'm not doing the over under, but I do think they're hitting the over on this one. Um, I, I think that this is going to be an interesting thing. I think that it's it's interesting to see what DJ Wilkins. I think that's an amazing comparison, by the way. Um, really good looking out on that one. Um, but with Lance Jones and a mask, I feel like that both of them are going to push themselves to that next level. Um, it's yep. interesting that you've got the two sophomores coming in together, um, and they they saw early success, and they can kind of see like, you know, we weren't that far away. This is kind of attainable. Um, it will be a lot of growing pains, which is why I said their floor is ninth. Um, mm-hmm. There's no question about it. This feels like, though, like the long-term hold stock to me, like if, we're, if you're talking stock market, like this is one of those stocks that like it's going to pay off in 12 months. Yep. Um, Absolutely. This feels, like, this feels like next year's Missouri Valley, they're going to go in and they're going to be in the top mix. Yeah, if, 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 if things progress as, as I think they will. Absolutely. You know, I would have bought in heavily. I would have put maybe a mortgage payment on them last year, um, you know, especially if it pays out in, you know, three to four years, just because, and, and I'm with you on that is unfortunately the leader of this team, um, I'm assuming it's Damask uh, because there's no one else that that's a, there's no other veterans like Marcus Damask has all of the minutes for the team and like he has the highest, most minutes and he's a sophomore. So that's where I, kind of say that's where the risk level is at it from a sophomore slump is that there's just no there's no veterans even on the bench you know from an injury or anything kind of like you know I'm assuming Aaron Cook played a veteran role last year even though he didn't play a minute um, after his injury in the MTE and so that's where I'm just that's the risk right when we're thinking if we're talking about you know buying or buying low selling high you know that's the risk for me yeah I think it's I think it's unknown depth you don't know what the depth is going to be like. Um, one other thing I want to mention, by the way, you talked about Ben Harvey. Sneaky pick for newcomer of the year. If you want to, if you're looking for kind of that, yep. the one nobody's talking about that's maybe going to be in the mix. Um, I, I think that, you know, he showed success in the Ohio Valley. Um, obviously, I personally think the Ohio Valley is a step below the Missouri Valley. But if you show success there, um, come to a come to a school where they have a good coach. I think that he will see success. And like you said, he was playing all last year with these guys and with a really good team last year. So I think that that goes into into the factor there. I agree with you too. And that's actually who my person was. So thank you for reminding me of that. And I mean, he's only gonna have success when he's been scout team AJ Green, Tyreek Key, Trey Burhal. You know, he's been those people in practice. And so, you know, I, I just think that that sets him up for success to have a kind of a breakout year because he's going to be new to the league. 
Yep. So one. So before we before we close it out on the dogs, where's their ceiling? Where is I mean, this ceiling? I I personally. So I I see their ceiling at third. I think that they if they if it all comes together, they're that good defensively. Um, I could see them competing with Bradley. Sure. Um, I think I, I think that that's fair. I. I don't think that the de- I, as the unknown depth, like we just said, I don't think that they can compete in the top two. I just really don't. Yeah, I'm pretty adamant that my top three are um, Northern Iowa, Loyola, and Bradley, and we can shake those around as much as we want. But so I'd say four, um, just because I'm 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 just gonna stay with my I, one through three are gonna be those three. Um, yeah. I, I think injury is gonna be the big one. There's just not enough size. Um, but that's Brian Mullins' mo. He's a tall lanky guard heavy coach and so yeah I, I'm, I'm excited but you know the early injury with JD Molia that's that's huge unfortunately um just because it's a reoccurring injury I didn't talk on that but he's already torn it once I don't know if it's the same knee but he's had knee issues in the past so that's a big one for me just as a fan sounds good well um it'll be interesting to see what happens with the dogs yeah, I'm excited, and I, I, just as an SIU fan, you know, stocks only only high. I mean, it's high. It's high. Suzuki fans are excited. From what I understand, talking with just some people closer to the program uh, before COVID, see, I mean, and even through COVID, season tickets sales are high. Um, there's a lot of excitement around the Suzuki program, and add me to that bunch. I'm I'm excited for the future for Suzuki basketball. All right, so before we close out here, we did want to touch on, you know, something that came out today on Wednesday, you know, the day after the election, is the Kim Palm rankings, the first ones of the 2020-2021 season for the Missouri Valley. Uh, they came out. So we only had one team in the top 50, probably not surprising. Um, it was the Loyola Ramblers at 47. After them, we had Northern Iowa Panthers at 77. So we only had two teams in the top 100. After that, we had Bradley at 127, Indiana State at 134, Valpo 147, Drake 157, Missouri State 172, Southern Illinois at 185, Illinois State at 194, and then um, our lowest ranking, Ken Palm ranking team was the Evansville Purple Aces at 269. Baker, I'm not that surprised, but what's some insights that you're you garnered from the Kim Palm rankings? Um, so I'm going to turn it back to you with a question. What's shocked you the most when you looked at this? Because I bet you it has to be the same thing that shocked me. Um, Loyal was really high in my opinion, um, especially with how you and I kind of finished the season and they were positioning themselves for an at-large. Mm-hmm. That was mine. Okay, so we don't have the same thing. Um, I'm stunned that Valpo is as high as they are. Um, as, and, and it's not that they're as high as they are ranking-wise because, I mean, 147, I mean, yeah, you can make case they're the 147th best team in the league or in the country, but that they're the fifth best team in the Valley is where I'm kind of stunned. Um, and I don't know if that's based – I don't know if that's held by last year because I know the Kempom rankings for the preseason aren't always – as as valuable especially as they until they really play games but um to me that was the thing that stood out yeah I'm honestly not that surprised because I would say Kim Palm kind of like you said it kind of skews towards what happened last year early on in the season 
which is kind of – that's the MO of the Kim Palm is over the course of the season, it just gets better, in my opinion. And so, like, I think SIU is one that like, kind of sticks out to an SIU fan is that, you know, they kind of finished the season. Um, they, they kind of limped into arch madness, for lack of a better term. And so they were rewarded in Kim Palm in, the, in Thursday night in the eighth seed. Um, so I'm not surprised that Valpo crept up because they had um, success at the end of the season, in my opinion. Okay. No, that's – and then I think with the Southern Illinois, I mean, obviously I don't think they're the eighth, but eighth best team in the league. Um, but, yeah, I think that they're – that feels low to me. Um, and obviously I'm a, we're a Valley homers, so it's different. The one thing that I think is good, though, is the two teams at the top in the top 100. Um, we have not had a – we have not started a season for two years um, with two team multiple teams in the top 100. Um, even 2018-2019, even as I'm looking at those – early uh, preseason rankings, it, it, we had three that year, and then we didn't have anybody at the end of the season. We had one at 99 going into the next season and only had one at the end of the season. And then now it feels like it feels like we're getting a little bit more love now in the preseason. We've got two back again. Um, I guess that, to me, maybe that shows hope that there's a little more respect for the Valley, at least Ken Palm-wise. Absolutely, and I think there's going to be respect for the Valley moving through the season. So um, I think my biggest takeaway is um, – it's kind of like preseason rankings for me. They don't mean a whole lot early on because I feel like Ken Palm just gets better over the course of the season. You know, it kind of just skews from where last season ended and it kind of moves forward and doesn't take a ton of consideration of departures, newcomers, things of that nature, just because with anything, the data is not there. And, and you know what, at 127, more bulletin board material for Bradley. Oh, you kidding me? <laughs> All right. Well, um, this has been episode six of the March of the Arch podcast in this 2020-2021 season. We had a great episode here. You know, good banter tonight, you know, talking, you know, just kind of the process of the election. Um, we also had Wyatt Wheeler from the Springfield News Leader. We talked about my Southern Illinois Salukis and we talked Kim Palm. So Baker, where can people find us? Yeah, you can find us on our website, marchthearchpodcast.com. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at MarchArchPod, at MarchArchBaker. Um, definitely uh, reach out to us on there. Uh, love your feedback on the, the shows. Also, uh, love just talking Valley Hoops. So, um, you know, looking forward to next week. We have uh, – now i got to look in front of me who we are doing next week. Um, Indiana State and Loyola next week will be the two teams going into next week, and then we will finish off with our regular season and tournament champions in our championship episode. Um, so Indiana State Loyola next week, that'll be a fun because I know that the expectations start getting higher as we go through these. So, uh, yeah, good, good show as always. All right, and with that, I'll say go Valley. Start talking about the Valley. Why not?